Media Hack Collective was formalized in the uh, early part of 2020, shortly before the uh, initial coronavirus lockdown. This is Alistair Otter from Media Hack Collective. You'll remember him from the second episode of the last season of Media Diaries. They had the excellent COVID-19 dashboard. Since the lockdown in the past seven months, we've seen the business grow very, very rapidly um, to the point where we've at points Brent brought on staff to assist with some of the work and we're currently in a phase where we're actively looking for additional staff to assist with the workload that we have at the moment. So all in all, in many ways, the the entire lockdown period has been both the busiest period that we've had for a very long time in recent memory and also probably the time where we've seen the business grow um, well beyond what our initial initial um, expectations were. Welcome to a very special episode of Media Diaries, the COVID-19 edition. I'm Paul McNally. This time we will be reflecting on what the year has meant for five newsrooms from previous episodes. We want to know how coming out of lockdown has influenced their businesses and what they've all learned from the experience. This show is brought to you by the South Africa Media Innovation Program and produced by Volume. Let's return now to Alistair from Media Hack Collective. He sent us a whole range of voice notes over WhatsApp. That's how we make this show, by collecting voice notes from people and stitching them together. We've been very fortunate uh, at Media Collective that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic has actually played into our hands in many ways and been, been hugely beneficial for us. We had a range of skills, which when the pandemic happened, we t- quickly turned those skills which was visualizing information and data to actually start representing the coronavirus um, pandemic in South Africa through a dashboard. That dashboard was launched in the middle of March 2020 and currently an astounding 700,000 people have used it. Even at this relatively late stage of the pandemic, um, there are still people concerned about a possible second wave and we're still seeing around five or six thousand people a day looking at the dashboard and using the data so in many senses we were we were lucky that we had the skills and the opportunity and we were quick to put it together which has been hugely beneficial for us not only because it's managed to us to reach a huge audience but it's also managed helped us um, establish ourselves in this kind of market where we are starting to get a lot of referral work or people asking us what we can do for them along the similar kinds of lines. Here is Laura Grant, also from Media Hack Collective, on how working on the dashboard has benefited her. I've learned so much about how to build data sets and how to visualize them and how to, yeah, I think the biggest lesson though, and the best lesson that I've probably learned is about community building. I always kind of in theory knew that you should make your product useful to people. But um, yeah, I mean, with our COVID-19 dashboard, I think we just got feedback from people that proved that, um, you know, we had, we've got what probably well over 200 emails from people now who have asked us questions about the dashboard, um, who've given us advice, who've pointed out our mistakes, (laughs) you know, they've been so interactive, these people, and really they've totally shaped what the dashboard looks like. They've taught me stuff, Um, you know, and, and 
they just they found the dashboard useful and <laughs> that was just brilliant um it made it enjoyable, even though it was exhausting. Clients want their own dashboards, similar to the COVID-19 one, which was produced for free, and they are willing to pay Alistair and Laura for the privilege. Here's Alistair again. When we launched the coronavirus dashboard, we did it as a voluntary project. After a few months, we realized this was going to be a, a seven-day-a-week operation just to keep this going. And certainly, although we were paid to put the time in, there are costs associated with it. Certainly, um, the time was one of the biggest costs. And this is an important question. When something you are doing as a side project for free suddenly blows up and takes over your business, how do you monetize it? Here's Laura again. We were starting to get tired. It was starting to cost us a bit of money to produce the newsletter and um, you know, to collect district data. We had to hire someone to help us. It's like three hours a day to collect that data. So with the help of Mary from SAMAP, we um, we thought, okay, let's just try a crowdfunding campaign. And we set a target of 30,000 rand because we weren't really sure how long we would have to, this COVID thing would be going on for. They just wanted to raise some funds to cover their growing costs. Here's Alistair again. So we launched the campaign. The objective was to raise 30,000 rand in 30 days. And we were stunned when we found that we raised 30,000 rand in the first 30 hours after the launch. Um, we then transitioned and we made it clear that we weren't changing the rules, but we were just we would keep it open for, an, for the remaining 30 days. Um, and people were welcome to, to, to make further donations. And at the end of 30 days, we had managed to raise 60,000 rand, which was double what our initial expectation was. Here's Laura again. And also, you know, we I know people can't afford to pay for things you know lots of people lost their jobs and their livelihood so you know part of the thing was we asked people if you found the dashboard useful send us an email and let us know and people did and and that was lovely you know that was that was really thoughtful of them and it made it kind of all the hard work worthwhile Let's move now to Kobus Lawrence at Food from Zanzi. This year really scrambled my perception of time. A lot of time was this weird bubble where time moved very fast and also seemed to last forever. Some of the lockdown habits are already failed, fading. Others are definitely here to stay. At the moment, most of our people are working remotely again. Food from Zanzi has just officially turned two. I'm looking back on our second year, which most of which was spent in lockdown and taking stock on it. It was a tough year, but I do think it ended up strengthening our business a lot. This extra focus and capacity to work all the time because there was nothing else to do is a benefit that comes up again and again from the participants. Here is Dawn Numdu about how this worked for Food for Mzanzi. Obviously, COVID was horrible, but we, adjust, we adjusted quite well. Our entire team was able to work remotely, and the business, it was business as usual. So in terms of our business, business in general, we were able to make the transition smoothly, and things weren't really as hectic for us. I mean, while everyone else was lazing about... <laughs> And having a good time, well, good in the sense of lockdown, we were just moving and working more than usual. And there was no stopping, really. 
because at the time of lockdown, um, we were the only media publication that was able to serve um, the agricultural community. So it was business as usual. We upped our game and we made the most of it. Here's Corbus again. Plus, online media got a huge traffic boost, of course, from everyone being cooped up. And it pushed our website onto a whole new level. And it seems we've been able to hang on to those new users. Food for Mazanzi is an online portal that deals with stories about agriculture. And the team has had some challenges with COVID-19. We all, of course, rushed back to the office as soon as we could. And barely two weeks later, half the team was COVID-19 positive. We were lucky we came off relatively lightly. It's six weeks later now, and we're all still struggling with health after effects of different extents, but we feel like survivors nonetheless. We've settled into a balance that allows for great remote teamwork and minimizing the time and cost of traveling for meetings. Hi, Paul. It's really nice to be talking to you again. This is Kathy McGroby, the founder of Quote This Woman Plus, a nonprofit that aims to contribute to gender transformation of the media landscape through the use of a database of female experts. We're still a really small NGO with a really big mission, which is to make sure that nobody's voice gets left behind when it comes to making the news. We're still pushing ourselves too hard. And we're trying to change systems that are just so much bigger than us. Despite this, Kathy has had lots of success during the pandemic. At the peak of the COVID news buzz, our news lists of women experts were getting up to 100 hits a day. And um, the experts who were on those lists have become established media names in their own rights. Kathy wants to see more and more women quoted in the media. We've seen experts quoted in commercial and independent media in South Africa, as well as on the SABC and in community media. And they also have connections internationally. So a lot of our experts have been used in Al Jazeera, the BBC, the Times of London, the China Global TV network, um, and then syndicated through Bloomberg, AFP and Reuters, which means that they are basically appearing on stories across the globe. We now move to Daniel Kutzer at Viewfinder, an accountability journalism project that does long-term investigations into abuses of power which impact on the public interest. You'll remember him from an earlier episode this last season. Our investigations at Viewfinder are heavily reliant on the contacts and the trust and the rapport that we build with people who often work inside the systems that we're trying to understand and expose. And for that, we've always found that in-person connections are incredibly important for building that rapport and getting that access um, as opposed to trying to do it over the phone. So the lockdown in this regard has been a huge challenge. I think the adaptation of um, the, the, the increasing comfort that people have with um, platforms such as Zoom and um, for more sensitive conversations, encrypted uh, voice call platforms, um, ha- has made it possible to sustain uh, relationships and to build new ones with sources and I think that is something that, that would only benefit us into the future where travel and in-person meetings in different parts of the country 
are expensive and and uh, onerous and time consuming i think there's a potential arising in in the comfort that people have with remote communication viewfinder has already conducted some key interviews remotely on issues that they thought previously would have needed to be done in person that relates to speaking to sources with in the police or retired police officers about the organizational culture uh, speaking to um investigators about their work and challenges speaking to officials in in government departments daniel hopes this communication freedom will extend post covid-19 but again there is no substitute for for meeting people and so we we've slowly started returning to field reporting to in person interviews and and that's been there's been a new appreciation that has arisen out of out of our recent reporting trip for the value of that you also reflects on how busy they have been as an organization during lockdown as you might remember from our last media diaries uh, viewfinder went through a really busy phase in the early phases of lockdown in south africa at that time um there were a lot of reports of police criminality of police use of force in enforcing lockdown regulations and us uh, being an investigative journalism unit focusing on police accountability and use of force issues in South Africa um really tried to to seize on that opportunity presented by the public attention on this issue to bring some of our investigative findings some of our longer term research into the subject uh, to the fore to to inform civil society to inform calls for accountability and i think we did so to to good effect it was a period also when the black lives matter internationally uh, the movement was taking off and and seeing major calls for reform in some states in america for abolishment of the police and we thought that it was important that that we contributed uh, reporting and investigations to that period the next phase of lockdown was markedly different for viewfinder they became independent from their parent organization the community media trust this process has also just reminded us i think that you know there's a big difference between being good investigators being good journalists and starting and and running a new organization really independently and and from scratch luckily a, f- a few things happened to to see us through and to help us consolidate that base uh one great coup for us this year was the recognition of the work that we did during lockdown attracting uh, donors and additional opportunities for revenue one of these partnerships has been with the donor luminate they are affiliated with the south africa media innovation program and which some have helped um liaise between ourselves and luminate that were interested in some project specific funding in the area of policing and in the area of supporting our investigative journalism so that was really fantastic partnering with this new donor the luminate funding has allowed viewfinder to pick back up some long standing projects that were on hiatus because of a lack of resources one of those is of course the police brutality data map that we've been working on and um, in in partnership with media hack and that is coming to a head this year and and hopefully would be ready for a launch early in the new year 
Um, another opportunity that arose in a partnership is between ourselves and Becky Sisa, Center for Health Journalism, uh, which saw us uh, sign on as a contractor to produce a serialized investigation on the impact of organized crime and corruption on the health sector response to the COVID-19 pandemic in South Africa. Our first story was actually filed um, by a, a journalist working with us, Steve Kretzman, and was actually filed today. And we're in the process of editing and, and bringing that story to, to fruition. It looks at the impact of PPE stockouts in the province, the Eastern Cape, which is both historically hotbed for supply chain management issues, for procurement corruption, for general dysfunction and management of the health department and, and sector there. Let's move now to Mungo Sogat, the founder and CEO of Scroller, a new startup that publishes high-quality popular content in English and Isizulu with a focus on mobile. And when I last spoke to you, it was just uh, after COVID hit and having had the pleasure of spending every six weeks in South Africa. Uh, I'm currently based in London. I was um, back in London um, with uh, the global lockdown having, having, having happened. And I've been stuck here since uh, since March, and which has been a, obviously pretty challenging for many, many uh, reasons that are familiar to absolutely everyone listening to this. Since we last featured Scroller on Media Diaries, they have made great progress. The progress we've made is we have uh, signed up a content deal with MTN on its uh, IOBA platform to provide both an English and a Zulu news service. And so a lot of our attention for the past uh, seven months has been focused on on, on uh, providing that content. So we've done content for our own prototype website, mobile site, but then also delivered a selection of it to IOBA on a daily basis. And this is, uh, you know, our ability to do this, in particular our ability to do this in, in Zulu, is really thanks to the MDIF and to SAMAP, who gave us a grant um, at the end of the first quarter specifically to uh, develop a Zulu channel and also to to expand our coronavirus coverage. Mungo always had plans to produce an Isi Zulu offering for Scroller, but it was always meant to be further down the line. But, you know, thanks to the grant, we were able to get it together in very, very short order. And it's an interesting story how we how we did that. So Zukile Majova, who's um, one of the founding team, you know, I said to him, how do we want to, how do we want to do this? Do we want to go to a, to an agency? Do we want to get a professional translators in? And he said, no, he wants to find two, um, uh, two young, uh, translators, interpreters and train them up. And he's done that. And we've got two kind of remarkable colleagues who've, who started out with us in, in April and have kind of grown with us and are now joining the team on a full time basis. That's, uh, Zuzile and Lela and, they're both based in KZN and they're both finishing off interpreting degrees. 95% of what they produce in English gets translated into Isizulu, including all the COVID-19 content that they've been putting out. Our main mission was to, to cover coronavirus in, in townships and our main focus has been Alexandra and then also to, to a lesser extent um, 
Stipsluit and Tembisa, you know, all of which uh, are places which Everson spends a lot of time. But but Alex has been our absolute focus. And I'd say more than half of our coverage has been from Alex because that's been where Everson has been physically based. And we've broken a lot of um, fascinating stories there. And obviously, I suppose the most prominent is the Collins Causa killing by the security services, which became a, became a big story internationally. And we were the first to break that. And it's something we followed um you know, we followed carefully uh, ever since. They are also producing a daily two-minute podcast, which summarizes the news in Isizulu. And uh, yeah, that's it for me today. London is is raining, uh, grey, uh, pretty dismal. Um, it's been extraordinary to be here during these months, watching uh, the calamities which have befallen this country um, on the government side, both with their um, methodical mishandling of coronavirus, which has been a kind of masterclass in incompetence in preparation for the, the final act on Brexit, which is taking place in a couple of months. So it's been it's been pretty extraordinary watching um, a developed country uh, kind of um, uh, self-immolate. Um, so, uh, yeah, so so methodically. And uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow. Since I last checked in with Volume, the Quote This Woman Plus database has grown immensely. This is Jordan McGroby. She is part of the Quote This Woman Plus team and also Kathy's daughter. Jordan works hard at maintaining their core business, the database of experts. As COVID-19 started, we decided that we would be making a COVID-19 specific database. So women of our current database and a whole bunch of new people who could get quoted on COVID-19 specific things. Everything from education to gender-based violence to vaccines to the economy, we've had it all. So we managed to grow that up to almost 100 experts. Like a lot of the participants, they have also experienced huge growth. Very excitingly, we have also been able to upgrade the actual database. So working with the Media Hack. That's Alistair and Laura's organization that you heard from earlier. We have been able to create a website that hosts the database um, aside from the Google Docs spreadsheet that we initially had. Uh, that's been really exciting and has also been a fair amount of back and forth just trying to get it all right. But I think we're in a place where we're really happy with how it looks and it's been open to the public. And although it's still a beta version to a certain extent, um, it is working perfectly. So that's been really, really exciting. Um, something that we look forward to, I guess, is just watching that grow and seeing how we can use technology to make it easier for people to access our database. And this growth has brought with it an important consequence. An interesting thing that we found as the database has been growing is that women are finding us as opposed to us finding them only. So it's been really lovely to kind of log onto our Google Forms and see that there have been people who I've never even heard of filling in the Google Forms as opposed to what it used to be, which was just people that I'd contacted. So it's been quite a roller coaster trying to keep on top of everybody who is wanting to be on the database. But it's been really lovely and fulfilling to know that women out there are wanting to be on the database and are hearing about it and actively trying to find it. 
Let's hear from Alistair at Media Hack Collective again. He's got some thoughts on the challenges they faced during lockdown. Perhaps the biggest challenge initially um, in the early phases of the lockdown period was the fact that we couldn't meet with people. Uh, we weren't able to meet with potential clients um, and interact with people on a level where sometimes you were able to share ideas more freely than kind of over a Zoom call or a video, some sort of video connection or a phone call. A portion of their business is also training people, which has proved very difficult. Having to learn how to train people, especially larger groups of people, through something like a Zoom um, video call was very extremely challenging. It's, very, it's a very different environment in which to try and teach a class largely technical kind of um, skills where you aren't able to assist them hands-on um, or aren't able to gauge by their their faces whether they are completely lost or whether they are, feel comfortable with what you're showing them. Quite looking forward to going back into the real world and teaching people face-to-face. One of the advantages of the lockdown for Media Hack Collective, just like the others, has been they had nothing to do but work. And this has paid off. And certainly we kind of worked almost every single day for a couple of months, um, which is not ideal. But the hidden benefit of that is many of our skills have become significantly refined and improved through hours and hours of, of additional work, which we may not otherwise have got uh, or had if we spend more time at conferences, at meetings, um, um, or just going out and socializing. Corbus from Food for Mazanzi has also had successes during this truly bizarre period. There have been many blessings. We recently passed one of our main competitors in terms of online traffic, making us at least the second biggest online agri-news platform in South Africa. We had a great run at the recent Digital Media Africa Awards. We won three for audience engagement, news literacy, and best COVID-19 project. We didn't win the big one where we were up against News24 for best news website in Africa overall. But for a startup, just getting mentioned in those leagues makes you think differently about your own potential. If I can single out one more highlight, it has to be our first TV show that's currently airing on VIA, one of the DSTV channels. We're doing it in partnership with our main partner, a large agri company called the VKB Group. We tell the stories of successful farming mentorship relationships um, that bloomed into friendships. Um, and these, these are real South African stories of relationships that cross the lines of race, class, and economic circumstances that still divides our country. Dawn, also from Food for Mazanzi, reveals the big change that the lockdown brought to their business. All the journals had to up their news game because our news agenda changed completely. And we were specifically focused on offering um, our audience news within the agricultural industry. Previously, we focused more on profile stories, lifestyle elements, but then we transitioned and we um, trained the journalist to be able to be super news focused. And that was one of the big things that changed for us at Food for Mzanzi. We leveled up in terms of our news offering. Meanwhile, at Scroller, Mungo says that they are growing and pumping out more and more content. It's Monday evening and we've just finished uploading 
all the stories, all the pieces for the site, which will be tweeted out first thing tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. They've just been loaded on TweetDeck by my colleague Cesare Sabia in Durban. And uh, today was the first day that we put out a an audio podcast, a uh, very, very quick, small podcast called a Scrollercast on the Zulu channel, which is basically a very brief snappy summary of the news read by Zuzile Ndlela, who's one of our uh, translators on the on the Zulu team in KZM. So that went that went up on on our Zulu site this afternoon. And we also posted it to the channel that we run on the MTN Zayoba platform. So it's a new initiative which we've been planning for some time and it's been run by my colleague um uh Zekile Majova obviously with with Suzile and yeah we're really pleased with that it's a, it's something we've been wanting to do for some time Mungo from his current base in London shares some lessons he's picked up during 2020 you know what we have learned i think the important thing to say is that you know, for any new business um uh particularly in a field as challenging as um as media uh, is a is a kind of Darwinian it's a Darwinian um, process. The, the early years are, are Darwinian. There's no other way to put it. It's incredibly difficult. You are um, doing something creative while trying to make it commercially sustainable, um, managing and incentivizing people who are often not paid, certainly not paid very much. It's a it's an it's an immensely challenging exercise. So many ways to add a different layer of um, of challenge, like a lockdown. It's, it's certainly taught us. Um, a couple of things. And I think the most important thing to, that it's taught us is, is the importance of very, very clear communication in a, in a virtual office. What's, what's been striking is, 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 is learning, um, how important clarity and repetition is, particularly with long-term goals. I think, you know, for the, for the daily cut and thrust of the news operation, being in a virtual office doesn't make a huge difference because you're kind of energized by what you're doing, by the story ideas, by how to do them, by how to get the video, whatever it is. You're, you're carried along and, and, you know, everything works, I think, you know, very well, amazingly well. And it's, it's, you know, the technology is extraordinary. I think when it comes to, you know, strategic, um, commercial planning, any long-term planning, any, any, um, application of long-term strategies and ideas, one has to be very, very clear how one articulates them. And I think what's extraordinary is how, you mustn't assume that just because you've said something or written something that it's going to be absorbed and accepted by people because everyone is running at such a pace. And I think there's actually a rule which, which I'm, you know, slowly realizing is actually true, which is that you have to say things at least three times, big things, you know, big long-term strategic conceptual ideas and, 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 and plans and ideas. You have to say it at least three times. It's, it's extraordinary how, how that is, that's been kind of borne out that um, one has to, build into one's way of managing. Everyone we have spoken to on Media Diaries for this first season has been a participant of the South Africa Media Innovation Programme, or SAMOV. So we asked Siabonga Africa, their programme officer, for some WhatsApp voice notes to explain how SAMOV has been innovating within the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a great sunny day. I just moved house, so everything's a bit in disarray got boxes everywhere and I decided to make a, a makeshift recording studio with my uh, phone and my blanket fort and um, yeah just me recording 
First up, we asked him what it's been like to guide all these organizations through COVID-19. Heading into 2020, we had a lot of plans that had to be put on hold because of the pandemic. And these included traveling to Nairobi, Kenya for Africa Podfest, um, amongst other conferences and events that we were going to attend. Thankfully, we had practiced with remote work and the switch to an online program went smoothly along with our pivots to online events, training and capacity building. Our participants were inspiring from the jump, I have to say. Um, people were able to amend their workflows and some of them went out of, and people still sent out their reporters into the thick of it to report on the early days of lockdown. And these were, conf these were confusing times and scary for everyone. As we enter these level one days of lockdown, it, I, I, I feel a greater sense of confidence and and pride in the program and the participants as well. Sia says he learned three lessons during lockdown. Number one. You should have goals and objectives, but also the ability to be flexible with those goals and, objects of, and objectives once challenges emerge. Um, this is something that you know we have been doing uh, with SAMUP, but on a personal level, it, it really resonated with me that as a person, you know, you need to have goals and objectives, but flexibility and uh, agility is needed in order to make sure that you can continue with them in some shape or form should uh, challenges emerge. At the start of each grant funding cycle, we sit with our participants and we develop targets and KPIs for them. The pandemic, of course, disrupted quite a few of those targets, but our participants were able to amend their objectives. And in some cases, they met those targets in a way that we hadn't thought of in those, in, in those initial discussions. Number two. The second lesson I learned was that you should never let a good crisis go to waste. It really resonated during this past pandemic. Uh, pandemics and economic crashes come and go. And from what I observed with our participants and the friends of the program, the people who found a way to take advantage of those situations are the ones who will survive and thrive. And lastly, number three. Work from home is here to stay and we need to find ways to make it work. We've done well at SAMAP on that front and broadly I think it'll be factored into how newsrooms run remotely in order to save costs as well as to tap into talent that may not be located in their near proximity. Uh, in the last couple of months, we've uh, partnered our participants, uh, not all of them, but some of them, with interns. And some of these interns are not in the same geographic location as those participants, but they were able to work with them because of work from home logistics, you know, fast internet, um, and also being told that we can't really work in physical spaces. So we definitely need to find a way to make work from home work for us. Let's go back to Daniel from Viewfinder as he has a few words to say about SAMUP. I'd just like to thank um, SAMUP and uh, just say that our participation on this program has been probably the single biggest game changer for us in the last six months in terms of just ensuring that we get through the woods of... Um, setting Viewfinder up as an independent entity. And here's Kathy from Quote This Woman Plus talking about a few of their key successes that they've managed during this absurd year. We've also run a successful crowdfunding campaign and raised over 60k. And as a part of this, launched a Women's Voices First storytelling program aimed at encouraging women to own the spotlight and own their voices 
and is a part of that own who they are. And here's Laura from Media Hack Collective reflecting on where they are headed next year for 2021. Yeah, I mean, things things are very, very exciting. Um, I mean, who knew? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were even invited to do a TED talk, for goodness sake. I mean, <laughs> about data. Who knew that um, data geeks could be interesting? Anyway, yeah. So it's been a good year for us financially, uh, but it's also been tough, you know, being stuck at home and 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 all of, and being so close to the COVID nineteen numbers makes you realise how much people have lost, you know. So it just makes you more grateful for 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 how things panned out for us. Yeah, and unfortunately now, um, at the beginning of November, the numbers have started to pick up in some parts of the country. And yeah, interest is renewed in the dashboard again. And now we're really getting messages from people to say, where's the newsletter? Why aren't you updating the dashboard first thing in the morning? And so, so yeah, I think our rest is over and we're going to have to start. We're going to have to kick up, kick things up again, again. And we finish with Dawn from Food from Mazanzi with some insights on the whole experience. And of course, I'm still a mother to a very active now three-year-old <laughs> Um, I think the last time when you guys engaged with him or heard him in the background, we were still in heavy lockdown um, and we both are COVID survivors. I have to put that out there as well. So it's been a tough time in terms of, you know, managing my personal life and work life. It's been a hell of a year, but I must say I wouldn't change it for anything. I've grown I'm in my 30s now. <laughs> That's a new thing as well. And I'm I'm happy that we were able to make a success. And I know despite our celebrations and the awards that we won this year and all the positives that happened, there are many in the industry that did not do so well, that are that have really suffered, that have lost their jobs. So it's important to also think about them. This has been a very special episode of Media Diaries, the COVID-19 edition. I'm Paul McNally. The show has been brought to you by the South Africa Media Innovation Program and produced by Volume. Check out more information about the show either at www.volume.africa or samip.mdif.org. That's samip.mdif.org. The music for this episode was composed by John Bartman. You can get all the episodes from this first season wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Volume.